Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. On January 27th, I'm going to join a very elite crowd, the few, the proud, no, not the Marines. I'm going to join the crowd of those who set off the metal detector at the airport every time they go to fly. Did I get a witness there? <laughs> Gonna have partial, I'm going to have partial knee replacement. I, I hope they put a knee back in replace for whatever they take out. But um, As I approach the surgery date, I have stepped up my working out to four times a week. Pastor Ralph is my inspiration. Uh, how old were you when you had your knee surgery? <laughs> so old that he can't do math. Okay. <laughs> Oh, boy, now i got to do the math. So 75, thereabouts. No. <laughs> 72. He used to walk a mile a day before he got his knees fixed. And so he decided coming up to surgery, he really wanted to be in shape. So he started walking two miles a day. And so he is my inspiration to work out hard so I can... He, he said he didn't have any pain. And so my goal... My goal is to not be a girly man <laughs> and have pain. So I've got to work out really hard so I'm ready for knee surgery. How strong are you as a Christian? I believe that one of the themes that Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy in this book, which as far as we know is the last thing the Apostle Paul wrote before he was martyred and went to heaven... The last words that he gave to Timothy to encourage him was essentially this. Timothy, here's some things that will help you be strong. Now, Timothy was a pastor, and he may have even been a pastor of pastors. And so he had an extra need to be strong in leadership. But the same is true of all of us. We all have a realm of leadership. But as individual Christians, we need to be strong and so in chapters 1 and 2, I believe he's been telling them some things that are going to be important in his attitudes and his thoughts and his beliefs that are going to help him be strong as a Christian. But in chapter 3, he turns his attention essentially to what I would like to call a strength test. Um, about three years ago, I gave myself a strength test of doing push-ups, and I almost fell on my face because my shoulder needed surgery. <laughs> And that was when I finally got my doctor to say, oh yeah, maybe there's something wrong. A strength test. What, is, what tests our faith as Christians? What tests our strength? Well, one of the things that tests us is false doctrine and false teachers who claim to know Christ, who claim to be teaching Christianity, and yet they are teaching falsehood, and that presses on us and essentially it presses us to say, am I going to go the way that they are pushing me, or am I going to stand up for the simple, pure truth of Christ? And so there is a strength test, and there is also a strengthening in the process of testing that prepares us for the future things that God has for us. If I was to summarize this book thus far, I would say that Paul said, Timothy, you need to be spiritually strong because there will be false doctrine and false teachers who try to derail you 
and try to derail the church, and you've got to be ready for the challenge. If we're going to be ready to face false teaching, we have to acknowledge the truth that we are going to learn here today from verses 5 through 8 of 2 Timothy 3. But we're going to start reading back in verse 1 to get the full context of what he's saying. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such or from those kind of people turn away. Now he goes on and turns it just a little bit to say, for of this sort, out of this kind of people, are those who creep into houses and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away with various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jeannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. Well, the first reality we have to acknowledge is the reality of false teachers. We have a real a struggle in our American politically correct society to point at someone or to point at some book and say that is false doctrine and that is a false teacher. We want to be nice to everybody. And you know, at its root, that's a good thing. It's good to be nice. And yet there is falsehood and we need to point it out so that it doesn't derail us in our Christian life. Jesus himself, at the very beginning of his ministry, said, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. This was as his ministry was just starting. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. The Apostle Paul, about 25 years later, is talking to the Ephesian elders, the elders from the church at Ephesus. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also, from among yourselves, from within the church, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, uh, sitting here this morning at First Baptist Church of Ferndale, we look around and we think, nobody would ever stand up in this church and teach falsehood. That just doesn't happen. Jesus says false teachers can come right up within the true church. Peter warned his listeners, but as there were also false prophets among the people, talking about the Old Testament era, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. The first thing that we have to understand if we're going to be strong Christians 
is there are false teachers. There have always been false teachers since Jesus uh, uttered that first warning. There have been false teachers. There are now and there will be until God purifies this earth. Now, if I said to you, under some of your seats is a bomb, and it has a pressure-sensitive switch, and if you stand up, it will explode. Would At the end of church, you'd say, Pastor David, isn't there something else you can preach? Raul, isn't there another song we could sing? <laughs> no, you wouldn't just stand up and run off and, and just say, I don't believe it, there's no danger here. You, you'd look, you'd be careful, and you know, we'd call the bomb squad, we'd find out which chair had it. We, you know, we wouldn't just be cavalier in our attitude toward danger. Jesus said there's going to be false teachers. That means they're here around us somewhere. I pray to God they're not in our church. As far as I know, they aren't. We work toward that, to keep that away. But in the broader church, they're here. And if we're going to be strong, it starts with saying, okay, I'm going to accept what Jesus said, and I'm going to realize I need to be careful. I need to be careful as I listen to things that are called Christian. See, we're talking about Christians teaching falsehood you can go up the street on the hill by my house and there's the biggest church in town with the tallest steeple and we know they're preaching falsehood but he's talking about christians people who call themselves christian and yet are not preaching the truth how do we identify a false teacher well i think we identify a false teacher by identifying true christianity and i think verse five gives us a great little summary Verse 5 says, those who are false have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. So what is the power of godliness? The power of godliness is summarized right here. If you don't have this verse memorized, or at least this reference memorized, you ought to. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The power of God to salvation. And if you're not thinking fully about salvation, salvation has two elements. One is the future in heaven. These flowers are here from the funeral or from the memorial service of John Harder who went to be with the Lord this last week or so, a week ago. And we came here yesterday and said, Praise God, John's having a great day today. And we didn't cry and mope for his future. Some of his family cried for his loss of relationship. But we know he is with the Lord. And salvation is first and foremost about going to heaven when you die. But it's also about the transformation that God brings in life right now. And the best way to understand it, I believe, is this. The byproduct of salvation is a good life, not the goal when you get saved, God takes away your sin. He implants the life of Christ. And change starts to happen. And what that starts to look like is a good, purposeful, meaningful, well-lived life. 
True Christianity is based on the power of God which changes mankind through the gospel. So what is the gospel? I want to review it for you today, and I want to review it for you through this grid of false teachers. What is the gospel? The first point is this. Man is a sinner destined for a life of difficulty and an eternity of punishment in hell. We don't have a little spark of good that just needs to be fanned into a flame of a good life. We aren't capable of doing good so that God will be pleased with our life and give us heaven on the basis of our merits. We aren't here for just a time and then cease to exist when our life is over. We aren't on the good leg of an endless recycling of life. We aren't part of the eternal spirit of nature trying to become one with the universe. We are sinners under God's judgment. The true good news begins with the bad news of man's dire condition in sin. I don't want to live my best life now. I want to live God's best life. And it begins with me recognizing that I am a sinner and that you are sinners. The most loving thing I can do, no matter what Robert Schuller says, is I can tell you you are a sinner. Because if you are a sinner, you can be saved. You can be changed. Your life can be transformed. But if you're not a sinner, you're on your own. So tell me how that's working. Well, what I see in the world is a mass shooting in Arizona. That person has all that he needs within himself to be a good person. It's all there. I guess he's just choosing not to use it today or yesterday. We are sinners under God's judgment. The second point of the gospel is this. God is absolutely holy. That is separate from sin And he cannot allow any sinner into his presence in heaven. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament had a little view of God, a vision of God. He didn't actually go into the presence of God, but in a vision he saw what it was like. And this is what he wrote. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple Above it stood seraphim, that's a a name for a kind of an angel. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me! For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, by God's standard, was a righteous man in that Old Testament sense. He wasn't a big time sinner. And when he came into the presence of God, he went, I am in trouble! He didn't go, great day, God, good to see you. Where's my mansion? This whole cavalier attitude toward God is not based in reality. God is is awesome. The word awesome belongs to God. 
He is awe-inspiring. And it is because he is so separate from sin and he cannot allow any sinner into his presence. The third point of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ is the eternal second person of the Trinity who took on human life. John put it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the eternal second person of the Trinity who took on a human life. We'll talk later about how people tried to diminish his life, but anything less than that statement is not a true gospel, and it will not change people's lives. The fourth part of the gospel would be this. God made salvation possible for us by pouring out his wrath on Christ to pay for our sin. When Adam sinned, and subsequently all of us, we owed God a debt. And God said, that debt must be paid. And it was paid by God pouring out his wrath onto Christ on the cross. But now the righteousness of God, separate from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified or made righteous freely by a gift from God through the payment that was made in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a way to satisfy his wrath, a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. The, fourth, the fifth point of the gospel would be this. <clears throat> you must believe, you must believe this message in order to be saved. But to him who does not work or try to earn his salvation, but believes on Christ, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Real salvation is faith in Christ plus nothing. If anyone tries to add anything or to substitute something for simple faith, he is a false teacher. If you have been adding something to faith or substituting something for faith, you need to let go of that today and simply believe and come into the family of God. Now, if that's the identity of the true gospel that changes people, what do the false teachers do to that gospel now, we don't have time to go, obviously, at length. There's, there's many, many things to be taught. <clears throat> but let me just give you three broad concepts that you need to look for if you're going to be strong in Christ. And the first is this. False teachers preach a diminished Christ. They will talk about Christ, but Christ will be diminished in their system. Um, the Apostle John said, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Be careful. Be on guard. Test the spirits. He's not talking about ghosts. He's talking about the spirit of people who teach, the, the spirit of their teaching. Test them. Test them whether they are of God. Because 
Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is a a very brief summary, but we would say, what is this teacher saying about Jesus Christ? Certainly the worst of those teachers will say he's not the eternal son of God. He's just a prophet. They will say he didn't live a perfect life. No human being does. They will say he didn't die in our place because we don't need someone to die for us. He was just a good example. They will say he was not raised from the dead. There is no such thing as being raised from the dead. Let me tell you one more thing that diminishes Christ in the gospel. It's elevating man. How much do you need Christ? And I know today I'm going to rush in where angels fear to trod, but I'm going to do it because I love you. Okay? This fellow here is the most popular diminisher of Christ alive today, in my opinion. Joel Osteen, your best life now. In this book, he preaches the gospel. Which one of those sticky notes talks about the gospel? The one at the beginning of the book? Or the one on the very last page? And what does he say of the gospel? Each week, I close our international television broadcast by giving the audience an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of their life. I'd like to extend the same opportunity to you. Are you at peace with God? A void exists in every person's heart that only God can fill. I'm not talking about joining a church or finding religion. I'm talking about finding life and peace and happiness. Would you pray with me today? Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins I ask you to come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Now, those of us who know the whole gospel truth say, well, that's not too bad of an invitation. But in the whole rest of the book, does he ever say, sin is what is holding you back in your life? Does he ever say, the reason you can't get along with your neighbor is because you don't love God enough? You're living in sin. You need Christ to forgive your sin and take it away. Does he say sin is the problem and Jesus is the cure? Or does he say you need to think bigger? You need to have a dream. You need to put those negative thoughts aside. I'll give it to you that he holds his Bible up at the beginning of every show. This is my Bible. And he makes you think he's going to preach it. But friends, if man is elevated, Christ is de-elevated. He's a handsome man. And he's got a beautiful wife and 43,000 people that come to his church every Sunday. But he's preaching a diminished Christ. Second, there is a second way that false teachers will insinuate themselves into Christianity, and that is by religious rules. Um, I, 
there are several ways this could be this could be uh, verbalized. One, we use the word legalism or legalistic, you know, a list of rules and what you have to do. Uh, one of the most famous that rose up from inside evangelical Christianity is the Worldwide Church of God, and the uh, is it Garner Ted Armstrong. Um, Herbert W. Armstrong, Garner Ted was his son. Herbert W. Armstrong. And uh, I'll talk about that more in a minute, but he had a whole list of rules, and, and in fact, uh, those people who were really faithful to him generally listened to his tape recorded sermons. They did not have a pastor themselves, and whatever he said about the Bible is what they did. And a list of rules was essentially what got substituted for true Christianity. In the first century, look what Paul wrote to Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, what is all of that? how does all of that get expressed? It gets expressed by forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods, that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This is just an example. This isn't an exhaustive list. But what he said was, when people start making rules about marriage that are not in the Bible, rules about food that's not in the Bible, they have stopped to preach true Christianity, and they're starting to preach a rule-based religion. You can mark it down. that Every false religion has rules about some of these things, some of them more extreme than others. Religion by rules. A rule-based religion is welcomed by many people because it provides a supposed path to merit God's favor, which fits perfectly with a self-sufficient view of the human soul. If you want to know why the cults that are based on works are so popular, the answer is it scratches people's pride button. How good are you? I'm so good, I did this and this and this this week. Oh, you're very good, brother. Good job. There's one church in which every week they go in and tell all of the times they went door to door and so on and how it all went, and they get recognition every week for each one of those acts because it makes them feel good. It's sinful because it's not Christ. And of course, the third is the introduction of humanistic philosophy or the mixing of humanistic philosophy with Christianity. And the word humanism means it's just based in humanity. It's not based in God. Uh, Godly ideas would be theistic. Man-centered ideas would be humanistic. In Colossians 2, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. You don't need worldly philosophy. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. What this fellow really does is take humanistic ideas and weave them in. Now, I'm not judging his heart. I'm not here today to say he, 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 he got around with a bunch of people and said, how can we sneak a bunch of people out of their money? I'm not judging his heart at all. I'm just telling you what he teaches is not Christ-centered gospel. What this fellow right here taught was not Christ-centered gospel. 
What the Christian Science Church taught was not Christ-centered gospel. This book here, I can't even find out who wrote it, but it was published by Barnes & Noble, and I saw it this week when I went to buy this other book, and it's called A Course in Miracles. No man's name is listed anywhere here. Um, no organization, as far as I can tell, is listed here. But it was published by Barnes and Nobles, and I find that very curious. Um, um, but here's what it tells me that, that really lights me up. You may be happily surprised to discover the light of an exciting, whole, new understanding of New Testament Scripture. If you will let the premises of your discernment be based on these postulations that supposedly Jesus teaches, there is one holy, loving, eternally creating God who creates you and everything in the universe. And it goes on and on. And it's the craziest mishmash of human philosophy and doublespeak that you've ever read. But it's going to tell you how to make miracles happen. Okay? It was on the discount rack, so it must not be that good. <laughs> I mean, by the front door discount rack, you know what I'm saying? There are all manner of people who want to, who, who look out and they say, and this is a red flag, by the way, all truth is God's truth. Well, I agree with that. I absolutely agree that all truth is God's truth. The problem is, what is it that I'm calling truth? Is it something that some people sat around like Sigmund Freud and created and, and figured out how man works? Is that truth? Should I take that into my Christian concept of the Christian life? Should I just go to God's Word and start there and finish there and examine everything by that? You see, what happens here is you get cheated that's why I'm sticking my neck out today. This isn't about us being right and everybody else being wrong. This is about you getting cheated because what God has for you is the fullness of Christ. And if you think there is something better than the fullness of Christ in your life, you don't know Christ very well. But people want to tell us there's something else. When Stephanie got married... I advocating making fake wedding cakes out of styrofoam. They do that, you know, at a wedding. They'll, they'll take styrofoam pieces and they frost it and make it look all beautiful. And that's the beauty cake. And then you have big layer cakes that you serve everybody. And I said, hey, let's do this. <laughs> this would be really slick. And I lost that vote. <laughs> False doctrine can have an appearance of truth, but when you look at what's inside, it isn't real. And that's the thing that we've, we have to be aware of. If we're not careful about what we hear and what we see, what we listen to, we're going to take in some falsehood and it will not have a good impact on our life. <coughs> Again, at 2 Timothy, and, and let's ask this question, uh, how do false teachers work? Now, I know we've got some things in this text that are going to set off some, uh, some bells and whistles for folks, but if you listen a minute, I think you'll understand it. Um, 
Verse 6, for of this sort, of the sort of false teachers, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the appearance? The first thing we need to ask is this. What does a false teacher look like? Well, a false teacher looks really good. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. that Satan is wearing a red suit and, and has horns and a uh, trident pitchfork and all of that. I, I don't know where that got started, but if he were to show up here today, he'd look like somebody you want to sit next to. You think about that for a minute. He transforms himself into an angel of light. What that is most likely going to look like is almost the Bible. Almost the Bible. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. We really need to let that sink in and just realize False teachers are going to look good. They're going to sound good. They're going to say things that are partially good. But they are going to diminish the gospel and enlarge man in some form. And while they are diminishing Christ and delineating rules and dispensing humanistic philosophy... They appear to be preachers of light, and if we're not strong, we get sucked in. What is the access of a false teacher? Here, he says they creep into households. Now, what would he be referring to? I believe he would be referring to house churches. I'm not criticizing house churches today. What I'm saying is, in the time of of Paul, the time of Timothy, they had churches in homes. And so what he's talking about is these guys insinuate themselves into churches. And they would do it in some way, you know, they would just come in and look like some guy coming to church or whatever, and, and in time they insinuate themselves in, then they rise up, and then they, they draw people away. He's just talking about people having an access to the normal gathering of folks. Uh, certainly today, one of the greatest ways that the false teachers insinuate themselves in is through mass media. This guy here, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, was one of the real forerunners of the mass media. He had a radio network. His big deal was to get this radio network all over the world and dispense his teaching all over the world. And he was very successful at that. And that's one of the reasons he got a lot of followers is because he got his word out in a lot of places. I don't need to tell you today that probably it would be accurate to say the majority of people on TV calling themselves Christian preachers are preaching some form of false doctrine. But they come right into your house through the TV, and then they have teachers who follow their ways, and it just kind of ripples down. 
the thing that, that is challenging to us to understand is it says they, they make captives of gullible women. The word in Greek is literally the word woman in a diminutive form, like we would say girly or little girl or something like that. And I believe he's using it as a way to say these people are extremely immature. But the key phrase is after that, loaded down with sins. He's not saying every woman in the world is susceptible to deception. He's saying women who are loaded down with sins are the ones that these guys have the most appeal to. And so they listen to them and they go, oh man, that sounds good. Now what does a person who's loaded down with sins want? Freedom from their guilt? Some way to change their life? Some way to feel good about themselves? Do the false teachers address that? You have everything you need. You don't need anybody's help. You're good enough. You just need to love yourself. Doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. You're a wonderful person. Yes, I am. And finally, there's somebody who recognizes it. Am I making that up? That's what sin does. Sin draws us away. You want to guard yourself against a false teacher? Let me go just one more step. Women, do you want to guard yourself against perverse men? Be righteous. The problem here is that they are loaded down with sin. And anybody who is loaded down with sin is susceptible to other sinful thoughts. Because it scratches them where they itch in their sin. And they go, oh yes, that sounds so good. And they follow after it. This happens on multiple levels. It happens when just a perverse boy goes after some good-looking little immature girl. And he speaks all the words of flattery. And she goes, oh, finally somebody who likes me for who I am. And we all know what he's after. You know, the scripture talks about the false teachers having a motive of coveting, of covetousness. They're after something. And so they say whatever it takes to get whatever they want. And he says, that's the real problem here. There are people loaded down with sin, being led about by the lusts of their flesh. And so somebody comes along and starts talking in a way that gets to their sinful side and they follow right after him. Listen, folks, life in Christ yields the Spirit's guidance. Life in Christ yields biblical thinking. Life in Christ yields the Father's protection. We don't need to live in fear of these things. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God will never allow us to be tempted above what we're able to bear. And so if you are living in Christ, you can walk confidently because when something comes around that smells like a fish, you'll go, that ain't right. And God will say, that's right, that ain't right. And you'll walk on in your carefulness. What is the appeal of false teachers? Excuse me. The appeal of false teachers. Look at verse 7. Always learning. 
and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's the phrase. That teacher's really deep. How can you be always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth? Well, here's an example from contemporary days, not too many years ago. Some people <clears throat> devote themselves to, to the discovery of the numerical key to prophecy as in the spurious bestseller, The Bible Code. They look at the letters and they assign the letters a number and they add up the numbers and they say, boy, we can figure all this out and we can know the day when the Lord is coming back. I don't know if the May 21st people are, are going by the, the numerical code supposedly that's in the Bible or not. People will spend hours and hours and days. I knew a man years ago who's now with the Lord. He was in one of our churches and he, he, would, he brought this whole sheaf of papers and he, he was trying to figure out who the Antichrist was going to be and when the rapture was going to happen. And he was working and working and working and working and working. And God says, no man knows. Put your pencil down and get on to the stuff God wants you to be working about. No, no, that's, you know, that's too simple. Let's work on this. Let's figure this out. Let's study, 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 study. And yet the simple truth is right there to be known. How can you be always learning but never come to the knowledge of the truth? It's because you're not interested in the simple plain truth of God. You want to somehow discern something he didn't tell us plainly. Some people are like the folks in Athens. For the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Real Bible study results in the acquiring of truth and the acquiring of new depths of truth with resultant growth of life in Christ-likeness. If your Bible study is not resulting in your life being changed, something is wrong with your Bible study. You may need help. Maybe you are very sincere, but you need help. I'm taking a class right now on a certain aspect of theology and the teacher started by defining theology. And he, he said something that I've never heard somebody say in regard to theology. And he said, systematic theology isn't done until it comes all the way out into the practice of life. And I said, yeah, that's right. It should start with who is God and end up with how do I walk right now, today? Real Bible study results in real changed life. If you went to school... Uh, some of our young people are in college. Some of them are being homeschooled. Some of the public schools. Say you go to school tomorrow, and uh, you came home from school, and mom and dad says, Johnny, what would you learn today? Nothing. And so they say, Johnny, what's the name of the class you took? The class doesn't have a name. Well, what are you studying? I don't know. We're just studying how will you know when you're done? I don't know. Would you think, great. That's what he says. There are people who study the Bible, always learning, 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 never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
why would you throw your lot in with people like that? God's truth is simple and plain. It's hard. It's hard to implement sometimes. There's no doubt about that. But it's not hard to understand. Many times we have conflicts about God's truth, but we're rarely confused. If you can't understand the truth of God and apply it to your life, you haven't learned and the man up front hasn't taught. What is the responsibility of believers? The responsibility of believers is to turn away. In Titus, he puts it this way. There are many insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, especially of the circumcision. That's Jewish legalism, Jewish rule-making. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, people from Crete, are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Those of you who came in here today believing we should never say a bad word about anybody need to stop and say, we need to be as gracious as we possibly can be. That's why I'm saying I'm not judging this fellow's heart. But when he goes on, Larry King, and Larry King basically says, is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? This fella goes, political talk, political talk, political talk. Well, that's not really my field of expertise. He never answered a question. What's his field of expertise? His field of expertise is helping you to fulfill your dreams. Don't be confused by the fact that he holds his Bible up. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to turn away. You see, our problem as Christians, we listen to this fellow talk and we go, well, you know, that. we kind of take our Christian stuff and filter it into his. And we think, well, that's pretty good. The problem is he never says this stuff. We hear this guy banging on the pulpit saying we got to do some things and we go yeah we should have some more rules because people are too loosey-goosey but what happens in time is eventually we find out people really are headed down the wrong path we have a responsibility as paul told timothy here in in chapter 3 verse 5 turn away and it literally says keep turning away unfriend them on facebook why does he say keep turning away because there's a new version every day this guy this guy was still in grade school when i was going to bible college i guess how old is he now 40 45 20 well you know he was in junior high maybe when i was in bible school he wasn't even on the radar screen i had a class in in uh, contemporary theology, and this guy, you know, who's he? Nothing, you know. This guy was on the radar screen. We studied him, you know. There's something new every day. There'll be something new this week, next week, next year. And so you have to keep being careful. But there's a great encouragement here. Look at verse 8. 
Well, verse 8 also helps us to define what they do. They're opposing the truth. We need to realize that. But verse 9 says, They will progress no further. Their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. Um, The encouragement of believers is, look, God has put a limit on what's going to happen. This fellow here died uh, in the 80s, and his son took over, which was what was supposed to happen. The problem was his son went, I'm not quite sure everything we've been believing is in the Bible. And they actually turned the whole denomination back toward the Scripture substantially. And you know what happened? The whole thing fell apart. The worldwide radio network, gone. Bible college that they had, gone. Uh, from churches, I don't know how many churches, way down to just a few numbers of people. Um, all of the people who were not interested in true Christianity, I guess, left. But here's the big point. This used to be a raging debate in the Christian church. Okay, I can remember people talking about it. I can remember Christians getting sucked away. I, mean, I heard the stories. I didn't personally know anybody. What is he now? He's a dot on the timeline of church history. What does it say? They will progress no further. Their folly will be manifest to all. Okay. Science and Health with the Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy. Okay. The religion that came out of this is called Christian Science. The classic Christian Science joke is you're not flat because the steamroller just rolled over you. You just think you're flat. Because they are saying that all of the things you need are in your mind. You need to think differently. Healing, they say, comes out of the way you think, and so on and so forth. And if you read her book, she intersperses Christian phrases and words with her ideas, and it is slick. I mean, I'm a guy who's studied for years and years, and I read it and go, oh, you know, kind of, this kind of sucks you just a little bit, kind of wants to pull you in a little bit. But everybody knows Christian science is not a Christian faith anymore. Okay, it's still going, okay? but nobody says, oh, yeah, they're evangelical Christians. No, everybody knows that's foolishness. Okay? Um, we could name numbers of churches that started out supposedly within the evangelical world and went, and now no, everybody knows. Think with me for a minute, verse 8. These two guys, now if you go back and read your Old Testament, you will not find their names. How did Paul get their names? God gave them by inspiration. Consequently, we don't know where these guys opposed Moses, and any judgment to decide where it was that these two actually were is just a guess. But we do know God. there were opposers at several different spots. And what happened to those who opposed Moses? In Egypt, there were some who, who, who mimicked his miracles, presumably by the power of Satan, but they couldn't mimic them all. And eventually, if they were opposing him in Egypt, they came under the curse of the firstborn and the death of the firstborn, just like everybody else. And if they were of those who opposed him and traveled with the army of Egypt, they drowned in the Red Sea. So that would be one group who opposed Moses. There were some other folks who opposed Moses farther out into the desert. And you remember what God did? God said, the earth opened up and swallowed them. That worked out pretty good. And there were some other people who opposed Moses and God 
And God said, you're going to wander for 20 years till everybody 20 years and older dies for your disbelief. So I don't know which one of those groups or some other little incidents these men were part of, but it did not go well for them. And it will not go well for anybody who opposes God. Every aberration of Christianity takes some people away from the true faith until it's found to be false. And it may even continue as an alternative religion. It may even call itself Christian, but it will not steal any more real believers. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. John MacArthur, I think, put it very well in these words. Many times throughout history, the church has been so fiercely persecuted that believers have feared not only for their own lives, but for the very existence of the church. But God has a boundary that proscribes the work of Satan, not only in the church, but in the world. He is on a divine tether that he can neither break nor lengthen. Yes, There are false teachers now, and uh, if I'm still preaching, when I'm Pastor Ralph's age, I will thank the Lord, (laughs) and there will be new false teachers. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt when you were younger in the ministry, this fellow here was, was, uh, this uh, Worldwide Church of God was something you were aware of, and it was a big deal. Today, like I said, it's it's just an afterthought. There will be something else in years to come. But God says we can be protected as we know the truth. There was an article in the paper this week about a police officer in Ferndale who's retiring. And and after uh, 22 years, and even in his retirement, he's doing a very good thing. If you didn't read it, you should. uh, Really a selfless act. They're going to have to lay off a policeman from the Ferndale Police Department. This guy has 22 years in, and in the police world, 20 years is enough. And if you're uh, 50 years old or older, you can start drawing your retirement. And so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on retirement so the young guy can stay on. I thought, wow, what a great thing that is. But this was the most interesting thing. Uh, his best memory, they must have asked him, what's, what's a best memory or a good memory from all of your years on the police department? And it was the most fascinating thing. He said, my best memory is of a guy that I pulled over for drunk driving. It was a young guy, and I pulled him over, and he just begged and pleaded me, let him go, let him go, let him go, and he didn't. He said he arrested him, took him in, and booked him, and uh, went through that whole process. And he says, evermore after that, every year on the anniversary, that fella came and bought me coffee because he was on his way to kill himself. Wow. Saying no to false teaching and false teachers and yes to God's pure truth looks harsh. It looks unloving. But in reality, we are saving people from a worse fate. We need to be as kind and gracious as we can and as resolute as we can on the Word of God. Heavenly Father, make it so. Oh, it's so hard to stand up for the truth in our country these days because everybody wants to be all nice to everyone. Help us to realize the nicest thing we can do is turn somebody to you and turn them away from falsehood. Help us to be careful. Help us to be wise. Help us to live in your truth and not be cheated 
by the foolishness that's out there. I pray in Christ's name, amen.